0: let's pray father we thank you for your word i pray tonight that you would open our minds to understand the scriptures that we would be the ones you're referring to as those who have ears to hear may they hear and understand i pray father that that's us that we have ears to hear because you've given us the ability to see the truth about your teaching and i pray father that that truth would then set us free and you would then use us to set other people free so be glorified tonight through your word, through the teaching, through our hearts, may they be open to what you have in store for us in Jesus name. Amen. Why parables? We're going to spend 12 weeks in 35 parables. Why? Why? why not why we're doing 12 weeks. Why parables? Why not just say it outright? Why, why not just say it straight so that it's not a story? Why not just say it? Because In that is the reason for parables. He who has ears to hear, let him hear and understand. So in almost every session, I feel compelled to ask that because if you miss the point of why parables, you miss a lot. Why parables? It's a mystery. Not everybody gets these stories. Not everybody gets it not everybody does there is a hidden meaning and it's not hidden because god wants you to not know i I don't think it's hidden because you don't have ears to hear remember last week we talked about those who listen intently those who listen urgently those who listen because they understand the value of the word itself they receive something other people come in and say whatever whatever You know, it's like your kids when you, sometimes your kids are listening and sometimes your kids are, or whatever, they're not listening. Okay. So let me give you an illustration. Years ago, I I don't even, it's been so long now, I don't remember why I did it or why we did it, but, um, I came up with this four word prayer, just something personal that I did. Uh, it's Maranatha, Hosanna, hallelujah, amen. And, and I just came up with it and i said this prayer answers every situation you get into in life if you're in trouble just memorize this four word prayer and just pray it lord maranatha hosanna hallelujah amen now listen anybody who sees those four words and they don't know me they don't know the context they're going to say um i don't know what that means they don't have ears to hear and understand why you would need to seek out what that means maranatha means come soon lord Come soon Lord, Maranatha, Hosanna, hallelujah, amen. Come soon Lord, begin to reign, make it so. Uh, come soon Lord, save us, begin to reign, make it so. Come Maranatha, come soon Lord. Hosanna, save us. Hallelujah. It's found in Revelation chapter 19 when Jesus begins to reign. You know it's the only place in the Bible that that hallelujah, H A Hallelujah is found in the entire scripture. It's when Jesus begins to reign. Come soon, Lord, save us, begin to reign. make it so. That's my four-word prayer. You tell me something that doesn't work for. It's the answer. It's where everything's headed. But the point is, if you don't have ears to hear, if you haven't tried to find the meaning of those four words, those four words will do nothing to you except maybe think I'm a cult or something. You're a cult. You know, you're speaking some of those funny words. Not if you understand what those four words mean so here's jesus in parables if you want to know the meaning it's under there but you won't be getting it when you come whatever you need to come have ears to hear so here we go i am going to read the mystery part and then we're going to get into parable number eight in luke eight verse eight and, and this is the context of the parable of the sower which is where we started a couple weeks ago when he had said this, he called out, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. His disciples asked him what this parable meant, parable of the sword. He replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God. See the mystery? They're secrets and you are going to get the secret. And then he says, but I use parables to teach of the others so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they look, they won't really see. And when they hear, they won't understand. It's like that Maranatha, Hosanna, Hallelujah, and Amen. They're not going to get it until what? What would make you get that? You come and search for what it means. You come not in a whatever. You come in, this could save my life. This could rescue me from the darkness. a sense of urgency, intentional. So, why parables? Here we go. Parable number eight, the speck and the log. <clears throat> Matthew 7, do not judge others and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite, first, get rid of the log in your own eye then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. This is one of the most quoted and well-known parables in the Bible. And I'm doing the whole context from the judging to the speck in the eye. It is also one of the most misquoted, misunderstood teachings of Jesus. Now, some of you might think, well, it is one of the most misquoted, misunderstood, don't have ears to hear parables of Jesus in the Bible. Do not judge others and you'll not be judged. How many times you heard that? Believers love this verse. Unbelievers love this verse more. They love it more than believers do. Why? Because they think that they, un- they have ears to hear none of the rest of the Bible, but I got ears to hear that one. Do not judge and you'll not be judged. Does this mean we should not hold another brother or sister accountable for right or wrong? And don't answer out loud, but that's my question. Does that simple, do not judge and you'll not be judged. Does this mean, does Jesus say to the world, that means you should not ever hold each other accountable to truth, to sin, to righteousness, to right and wrong. Now, I say that question in search for the mystery. Remember, I started tonight telling you not everybody hears the parable and understands the parable. Some people hear the parable and they'll never get the parable. They'll never understand. They don't have ears to hear The Apostle Paul—so let's go and search. I'm searching for the meaning of this parable. The Apostle Paul gives the church clear instruction about this judging others topic. Are Jesus—I'm going to read to you 1 Corinthians 5, and I'm going to ask you a question. Are Jesus and Paul in disagreement? Jesus says, don't judge, you won't be judged, okay? So don't judge, just don't judge. He puts that in the context of— there's something in your eye, and while there's something in your eye, don't go trying to get something out of somebody else's eye. Does that mean that we should not hold each other accountable to right and wrong, to sin? Is Paul and, are Paul and Jesus in disagreement? So here's what Paul tells the church. When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or are they cheat people or they worship idols you would have to leave the world to avoid people like that anybody getting it when i wrote to you i wasn't talking about unbelievers you're gonna have to get in a spaceship with elon musk and go to another planet to hell to this one because you know you're gonna have to get off the earth so You would have to lead the world to avoid godless people because the world is full of godless people. What's he talking about? Verse 11. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer and yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worships idols or is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people, don't even meet with such people. Now here it comes, here's the Apostle Paul. Are they in disagreement, Jesus and Paul? It isn't my responsibility, Paul says, to judge outsiders, non-believers. But it is certainly your responsibility. Who's he He's talking to the church. It is certainly your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning sinning god will judge those on the outside but as the scriptures say you must remove the evil person from among you you've got to confront the sin show so here's the question should we ignore the speck and the law this parable is connected to a man that's got a log in his eye and he's got looking at a guy who has got a speck in his eye so should, should I ignore the fact that there's a log in my eye should I ignore the fact that there's a speck in your eye should we ignore sin do not judge do not judge or you'll be judged is that what it means the people that quote Jesus' parable don't actually quote the apostle Paul's teaching to the church they don't like that one but they love the one of Jesus taken in their own context. Now listen, I wanna make this really clear. Yes, there is a danger that comes from self-righteousness. This is the meaning of Jesus's parable. Those who have ears to hear should hear and understand. There is an incredible danger uh, 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 to self-righteousness, self-righteousness. Thinking you can't see your sin but man, yours is going wild, right? I can't see mine, but I can sure see yours. There's a danger to self-righteousness, and we must guard ourselves carefully on this issue. There's a single verse in Ezekiel 310. I quoted it here in the service, I think a week or two, a few weeks ago. And then he said, God, God said to Ezekiel, son of man, let all my words sink deep, sink deep into your own heart first. Whoa! what a lesson. God to Ezekiel, let all of my words, here we go, let them sink deep into your own heart first. Listen carefully for yourself before you go li- listening to something that's going to apply to your neighbor. You, you figure out how it's going to apply to you. Paul demonstrates this danger, what? Self-righteousness, in his letter to the Roman church. Let me read it to you. Romans two, verse one. You may think that you can condemn such people. Now, this is really important. If you don't know anything about the book of Romans, it would be wrong for me to just jump into chapter two, verse one, and start reading this. What's Romans chapter one? Well, Romans chapter one, and I'm going to give you some context. Is is Paul calling out sexual sin, and he's calling out uh, sexual sin in in in, in generality. And then he specifically calls out sexual sin for homosexuality, for for lesbian sin, women with women, men with men as an abomination against God. And he says this, that if that continues, that, that, that that has occurred because of God has abandoned you to your carnal nature and that abandonment is a horrible thing because there's There comes a point in that abandonment you can't come back. Uh, The King James Version used to use the word I'll turn you over to a reprobate mind. Uh, One of the other English translations says I'll give you a deranged mind. No no longer being able to, what? You'll never have ears to hear and understand again because you won't be able to comprehend good and evil, light and darkness. You'll get to the point where you can't the Holy Spirit won't be able to convict you anymore. Now, I make a big deal out of that because when when chapter two opens and I read these words, it is in context of this. You may think you can condemn such people. Now, what are the such people? They are people who have fallen into such a depraved sexual life that God has abandoned them to that life to their destruction. Okay, that's a pretty deep darkness. Now, listen, you may think you can condemn such people, but you're just as bad. Huh? And you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and sexual sin and that perversion is wicked. When you say they are wicked and should be punished and should be punished. In other words, when you look at that people in that lifestyle who have a depraved mind, who God has turned over to the darkness. When you say, when, if I say you should be punished, you are condemning yourself. Stay with me. For you who judge others do the very same things. Hmm. Stay with me. And we know, so does that mean that, oh, we should never even bring it up, what? Don't, don't even discuss it, right? Because it's dangerous. No, for we know, verse two, and we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. So is, is this, is this because I'm not supposed to be the one to issue the, the sentence of punishment? I'm supposed to be the one who issues the word of truth. I leave the word of punishment to somebody way more qualified than me. We know that in his justice, God's going to punish anyone who who turns away into that lifestyle. And since you judge others for doing the same things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind? Tolerant and patient, God is with you, with me. Does this mean nothing to you that He saved me from my wretched life? Does it mean nothing to me that He rescued me from the darkness? Because I've got sin too. Now, here it comes. Can't you see that His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? What's his kindness and patience for? To turn you from your sin. So don't go issuing a final decree of judgment upon someone in sin, knowing that there was a point that God rescued you from a similar sin. Leave that to him. There may come a time where he turns them over to a depraved mind and it is too late. But that's not my job. That is not your job. I don't know where that line's at. So I'm going to keep preaching the, the, the grace and mercy of God to deliver them. I don't know where that line is. And if I come and I place the sentence of judgment upon someone in that sin, he says, you're going to bring that judgment upon yourself because that is not your calling. That is not your job. What's the issue then? Okay, put all that together. Speck in the eye, log in the eye. You should not judge or be judged. If you judge them you're going to bring judgment upon yourself. What's the issue? What is the point? What is he trying to communicate? Repentance. It is the real issue here. You can't condemn someone for a sin that you are also living in. You can't do it. Jesus' parable doesn't tell you to not hold your brother accountable, read the Bible. Jesus never told us to not hold our brothers and sisters accountable, no. Jesus tells us to first, listen, now read the parable. Now unfold the mystery. First, take the log out of your own eye. What does that mean? Repent! How do you get the log out of your eye? He says hypocrite. First. He didn't say third, fourth, fifth. First thing you do, what? What? Get the log out of your own eye. Get rid of the log in your own eye and then you'll see enough, well enough to deal with the speck in your brother's eye. Ultimately, what is the goal? To get the sin out of both people. Anybody listen. What's the goal? What, what's this about? Get the sin out of both of you. Get the sin out of both people. It's called repentance and it is the core of the gospel message of Christ self-righteousness is deadly because it prevents a person from examining their own heart before God. Here's why. Let me, let me make this really clear. Self-righteous people never repent. You know why? They don't think they need to. They don't think they need to. That's What's, what's this parable about? People who think that they're good enough to tell you how bad you are, are never going to have repentance in their own life because they don't think they need to repent because I'm self-righteous. So let me give you a bad exa- a, a great example, not a bad example, a great example. And, and here's the, here's the example. And it's another mystery. Do bad things only happen to sinners? even though it's not true in fact sometimes it looks like bad things only happen to righteous people okay so is there a correlation between bad things happening to people and their sin is there a correlation so let's ask Jesus Luke 13 verse 1 about this time Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices at the temple now y'all see what this is pretty heavy Jesus said in a conversation, he's from Galilee, okay? And Pilate is murdering some Galileans at the Jerusalem temple when they're making offerings. He murders them. He murders them. So here's the question. Jesus, do you think those Galileans, Jesus said, do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people in Galilee, because that's how they got murdered. See what happens to worse sinners? You slip into town, make an offer, and he murders you. You see? Do you, do you think that's how this thing works? Jesus. Now, if I ask you that question, I got no criteria to measure by. But Jesus says, do you think that's why they died? It's a great question. Jesus said, is that why they suffered? No. Not at all. And here it comes. And you will perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to God why do people die? what are we dealing with it? why do people die? well they're terrible sinners that's why they died no that's not why they died you're going to die too if you don't repent that's what he just said that's, that's what he just said now I'm going to tell you either that will sink deep into your heart or you're going to get away from him because you don't like him anymore one of the two is going to happen and he does it again and what about the 18 people who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Oh, those are some rotten guys. You walk down the road and a tower falls on you. Oh, God's coming to get you, right? Huh? I mean, how many people die from a tower falling on them? Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? No. And I tell you again that unless you repent, you're going to perish today. What's the point? Anybody get it? You got eyes to say, ears to hear? What's the point? There is no forgiveness without repentance. Why? Why? You've heard me over the years say this consistently. There is no forgiveness without repentance. Why? Because self-righteousness has so deceived you that you don't think you need to repent because you don't see the log in your own eye. Right? And if you don't see the log in your eye, why in the world would you ever be worried about somebody's speck in their eye? The issue is this. When I remove the log from my, when God's, truth removes the log from my eye, then and only then am I able and qualified to go help my friend get the speck out of theirs. But he still wants me to get the speck out of theirs. Is anybody listen? He doesn't want either one of us to have anything in our eyes. He wants us both to be able to see. Okay, here we go. Number nine. The house on the rock or the house on the sand it's important to remember that previous statement of Jesus I tell you again unless you repent you're going to perish too as I'm, a, <clears throat> as I'm about to read this parable unless you repent you're going to perish too I want that in your head when I read this Matthew 7 24 anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise so here's the hidden meaning of a parable revealed anyone who listens to it and follows it is wise there's two parts listen i have ears to hear and now i do it i apply it is wise like a person who builds a house on solid rock Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on solid rock, bedrock. Now, who's the person who can withstand the storm? What's what's Jesus' criteria for this person? He hears and he does it. It's not a whatever application of the word. He hears, has ears to hear, and puts it into practice. He lives it. He obeys whatever that was. But there's an option, verse 26, but anyone who hears my teaching and ignores it, anyone who hears my teaching and then ignores it, doesn't put it into action, is like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rain and the flood comes and the wind beats against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. So I'm going to ask you do you have ears to hear and understand the mystery of this parable? Where's the mystery? Listens and obeys. That applies to all of the teachings of Jesus. And why did I tell you this? I tell you again unless you repent, you are going to perish. That's one of the teachings of Jesus. Unless you repent, you're going to perish. Hearing that won't save you. Hearing that will not receive the forgiveness of sin. Hearing that and going to God in repentance because Jesus told you that is the power of God to redeem. See it? The wise man doesn't just listen or hear. He obeys and lives a life of submission and obedience to the Word of God. You won't be able to do it perfectly, and that's why God's grace is sufficient for our weakness. But but your goal in life is to hear and obey. Son of man, let all my words sink deep into your own heart. First, listen to them, uh, into your own heart first. Listen to them carefully for yourself. That's what God told Ezekiel. Ezekiel james repeats this message to the church the word has the power to save your soul saving a person from a foolish life and the self-deceived self-righteousness so let's read james 1 verse 19 understand this my dear brothers and sisters you must be quick to listen slow to speak slow to get angry Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all filth. Get rid of all evil in your lives. Get rid of sin and humbly accept the word God planted in your hearts. You see the contradiction? The contradiction is that you got to get that out to get this in. Get rid of the sin. And let the Word of God humbly accept the Word of God planted in your heart. For it is the power. What? It is the power. The Word of God has the power to save your soul. But don't just listen to God's Word. You must do what it says. And by the way, in the application we use tonight, we'll start with repentance. But I don't want to. But you have to. But I don't want to. Can we just move on? Well, you don't have ears to hear, do you? Then that parable meant absolutely nothing to you. You see? Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and you forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, what is that? What? Come on, what is the perfect law that sets you free? This is it. There was a time in the American church, I didn't have to make a point out of that. I have to make a point out of that these days. The perfect law that sets you free. This is it. And if you do what it says you don't forget what, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Notice that in Jesus's parable, both the wise and the foolish experienced the storm. You all notice that? I think it's important to make a point of that. If you're wise or foolish, you're still gonna have a storm. The wind's gonna blow, the rain's gonna come, you're gonna be tested. There's still gonna be a storm, but only one survives the storm. The one that stood on the rock of the word through faithful obedience. Matthew 7, 21. Jesus makes this statement. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Is that hard to understand? Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Is obedience an issue with God? It is if you can read. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do, actually do, and they have ears to hear, and they understand what these parables, these teachings mean. They actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesy in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We perform many miracles in your name, in your name, in your name, in your name. Let's pause for a moment. You tell me who does that. I'll give you choice A and choice B. Choice A is pagan, unbelievers living outside the church. They're not saying Lord, Lord. If they're saying Lord, it's curse word. Who says Lord, Lord? Church people. Who's he talking about? Church people. that get your attention? It does me. Many are going to say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. They're church people. We prophesy in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me. You who break God's laws. You break God's laws. What does it mean to break God's laws? You read it and you didn't do it. You read it and you didn't do it. You read it, but you did not have ears to hear. You just thought it was just there, but you got to do it. Now listen, I want to be careful. You can't obey all of God's laws perfectly. You can't. That's his grace is sufficient for our weakness. So shall I continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How can we who have died to sin continue in sin any longer? So I'm in this battle. I fight this war, but I I don't yield in this war. I continue to fight. I struggle, I struggle, but I set my eyes on the prize. And if I do sin, if I do sin, I repent of that sin immediately. I confess that sin immediately. I confess that sin. I come clean. It's not like he doesn't know. It's not like, oh, I didn't know. Because what's the danger? The danger is I hide that and it grows into more and more darkness in my own heart until the light I think I have is actually darkness. How deep is that darkness? But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. So let me say this before we get into parable number 10. SEEDS ARE PLANTED TO PRODUCE SOMETHING FOR THE GARDENER SEEDS ARE PLANTED TO PRODUCE SOMETHING FOR THE GARDENER SEEDS OKAY THIS IS A SEED OKAY THIS IS A PERFECT SEED IT'S A HOLY SEED AND IT WAS PLANTED ON THE EARTH TO PRODUCE A CROP A HARVEST FOR THE GARDENER OKAY JUST PUT THAT IN YOUR MIND BEFORE WE GO TO THIS NUMBER TEN It's called the weeds among the wheat. In fact, I don't know that there is a more descriptive parable of the 35 than this one. Maybe it's just how it affects me, but I I hope it affects you the way it does me because it is so clarifying to me. So when you say you have ears to hear, man, this one just keeps shouting. Matthew 13. Here's another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer. What are we talking about? King Heaven. Everybody want to go to heaven? Raise your hand. Come on. I just want to see. Okay. So have ears to hear. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seeds in his field. But that night as the worker slept, his enemy, the farmer's enemy came and planted weeds Among the wheat, and then he slips away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted the good seed is full of weeds. I kind of, when I read this, I hear them, "Oh, Oh, there's weeds everywhere. That's not what we planted. It's all messed up. The farm's messed up. There's weeds growing right beside the wheat. But I'm kind of dramatic in that way. (laughs) Where did they come from? An enemy. Why is Jesus telling this story? An enemy has done this. The farmer exclaimed, should we? should we pull out the weeds? I say, I see it. I'm reading this story. Should we pull out the weeds? Come on, let's grab something. Let's get the weeds out. No, 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 no. You'll upreap the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. Whoa. You understand why things are the way they are right now in this crazy world? There you, That's it. Let them both grow together until the harvest. But I want to get them out now! No, 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 it's not going to work. And then, and then, I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds. Tie them in bundles and burn them. And they're going to put the wheat in the barn. When I got to parable number 10, and I was doing this, this putting all these sessions together. I stopped to notice how all of them are tied together. Y- y'all see it too? You got the kingdom of heaven. Everything is about the kingdom of heaven. Everything's about the kingdom. And then he illustrates the kingdom with seeds and a word and good and evil and the harvest and lost and bundles thrown into the fire. Jesus lived among an agricultural society and they truly understood the agricultural illustrations. Good seeds and bad seeds, truth and lies, good and evil. Weeds are planted among the wheat, the kingdom of heaven versus this evil power that wants to slip in at night and plant some weeds. The wheat And the weeds, church, grow side by side. This is the way of the world we live in. The truth is revealed. Sir, the field where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done that. Notice that it doesn't seem practical to ignore the weeds it doesn't seem practical to pretend like the weeds are just funny looking wheat it's okay to call the weed a weed okay church this would be a good lesson tonight you don't have to look at the weed and say i think it's just a new hybrid of wheat (laughs) that's not gonna fix anything because I assure you, when the, when, the, when the harvesters come at the end, they're going to know the difference between the wheat and the weeds. Even if you don't, they do. They know the difference. Sin should be called sin, not wheat. Anybody hear me? It's okay. You're not going to get in trouble for calling sin, sin. It's not wheat. Wheat is wheat. Who's going to repent if we don't call sin, sin? I'm going to ask you, what's the mission of the church? Going to all the world, preach the gospel. Why don't you tell them what the wheat is and tell them what the wheat is? Just tell them the difference between the two. Who would ever repent if all we ever tell them is that everything is wheat? So what should we do? Next page. Now that we know the truth about the enemy and the weeds, what should we do? Should we go now into the field and pull up the weeds? No. That'll uproot the wheat. That's not his plan. This brings up another huge point tonight. Who's in charge of the harvest? I am glad it's not me. And you know why you've got to be careful passing judgment on somebody else that's in cur- sin currently? That's when you start to think that you're in charge of the harvest. I'm not. I am not in charge of the harvest. I am supposed to receive the seed in my heart first, by faith, live under the authority of that seed, and sow that seed into every field I can. That's what I'm supposed- that's what I'm here for. I'm supposed to receive that seed from me first. Before I can give you that seed, I got to get that seed in me first, to full measure in me first, and then I'm going to go sow that seed in somebody else's field. And what if there's weeds there? I'm going to sow that seed right beside it. Sow it. Let him, the the harvest will come later. Sow that seed. The harvest belongs to God, not man. Later in the chapter, Jesus reveals the weeds and the wheat and the harvest in great detail for everyone to understand. One of the beautiful things, and I think this is why this parable means so much to me, is Jesus doesn't leave it an open-ended mystery. He doesn't. He calls the guys off to the side and he says, I'm going to tell you exactly what it means. Very plain talk language. I'm going to tell you. He's going to reveal the mystery of the parable. Here we go. Then leaving the crowds outside, Jesus went into the house. His disciples said, please explain to us the story of the weeds in the field. I laughed because they were the ones who were supposed to have the ears to hear. And what did they just say? Now tell us what it meant. And Jesus is probably thinking, Uh, You should have already known what it meant. Now tell us what it meant. And here it comes. This is literal, okay? We're not doing an illustration anymore, okay? This This is it. If you don't get this part, I don't know what to tell you, okay? The Son of Man is the farmer who plants the good seed. The field is the world. And the good seed represents the people of the kingdom. They're the saved, okay? The weeds are the people who belong to the evil one. The enemy who planted the weeds among the wheat is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world and the harvesters are the angels. Is this hard to understand? Well, not when he puts it like this. It's pretty clear, right? Everybody should have ears to hear and understand this one, right? No, I wish that were true. Verse 40. Just as the weeds are sorted out and burned. Do I need to tell anybody what that is? The weeds in the final harvest are going to be sorted out and they're going to be burned. It's hail. It's hail. Just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire so it will be at the end of the world the son of man will send his angels and they will remove from his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil the weeds are going to be taken out and the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace Where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. And guess what he puts at the end of the statement? And anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Now, here's why I make such a big deal about this ears thing. What person would read that section? and not fall on their face in front of God. You know the answer. You might not want to say it out loud, but you, everybody in this room knows the answer. You don't believe it. And if you don't believe it, you don't have ears to hear. You didn't hear, it. I read it, but you didn't hear it. Because if you heard that, if you heard what's coming, if, if you know what's coming, You'd fall on your face in front of God. Yeah, you would. Repentance? (laughs) Yeah! Yeah! That's what I'm doing. Confess my sins? Yep, yep, yep. Don't be putting me in a bundle and throwing me into the fire. That doesn't leave much for interpretation. It's pretty clear. And yet many still don't have ears to hear and believe and understand. And I'm going to tell you, can I confess? It is one of those mysteries. It is. It's what makes preachers quit preaching. It certainly is. It is what, you know, to me, that's as plain as it gets. And it, it's fearful. It's fearful. That's why we must continue to sow seeds. Not in self righteousness, that doesn't work, but in repentance. This next scripture is the one, the mystery that immediately precedes jesus's parable of the sower that we did in week one now, i've been making a big deal out of this all night i'm gonna keep doing it for a little while longer matthew 4:10. what is this mystery what is the hidden meaning why did why did, it's the example that i can sing maranatha hosanna hallelujah and amen and probably Eighty percent of you in here now know what that means, and you understand it. Come soon, Lord, save us, begin to reign, make it so. It is the essence of the Scriptures, the promise to the church that one day He's going to come, He's going to save us, He's going to begin to reign, and by His might and by His power, He will make it so, I mean, But see, you have ears to hear, so you understand that. And I'm not trying to make equivalency to those four words to the Word of God. I'm not. I'm just trying to give you an example. Now, if you read about this fire that's going to come at the end of the world, and you really believed it and you understood it, then you would be, it's really clear what you'd do. You'd become a wheat, right? And you'd tell all the weeds how to become a wheat. Yeah, you would. Yeah, you would. Don't tell me you would because I know you would. Mark 4.10. Later when Jesus was alone with the 12 disciples, And with the others who were gathered around, they asked him what the parables meant. He replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God. But I use parables for everything I say to outsiders so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they see what I do, they will learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they would turn to me and be forgiven. Can you see that tonight when I read this clear text? Otherwise they would just turn because they, they don't get it. it. It is a mystery. Let, let me give you an example. I've always thought this is the best example I've ever seen. On, on the cross of Christ, Jesus in the middle. you got a thief on the right and a thief on the left. The thief on the right and the thief on the left experienced everything exactly the same on the same day. One of them says, remember me when you enter your kingdom. The other one curses him. Why? They saw the same thing. One had ears to hear, the other one did not. Why? I don't know. I don't know. You sit in a church service your entire life and not have ears to hear. Why? I don't know. So what do I do about that? I could quit. And preachers do. I'm being literal. A lot of preachers preach so long that they get so frustrated. They sow so many seeds. And they don't get a harvest and they quit because they can't see why both thieves don't turn they don't get it so what do you do you keep someone safe. you know why i'm not in charge of the harvest verse 12 so that the scriptures might be fulfilled when they see what I do, they will learn nothing. They will hear what I say and not understand. Otherwise, they turn to me and be forgiven. And then Jesus said to them, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, it's the parable of the sower. That's what that, he's referring to. How will you understand any of them? How are you going to get any of it? There's a good question for all of us tonight. Compare these next two scriptures to Jesus' clear description of the weeds, wheat, and harvesting angels gathering for the fire of hell so let's let's expand upon his his matthew 13 description of the harvest of the angel let's expand okay because there's more in here it's more than that so if i go to john 15 jesus says this i'm the true grapevine my father is the gardener he cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more fruit. You have already been pruned and purified by what? What prunes and what purifies? This. This. Oh, if the church would once again understand this fundamental tree, this is it. You've already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you, the Word. Remain in me, and I'll remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you're connected to me. Okay? you are got to remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are just branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will. It doesn't say might. You will produce much much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me, what happens? If you do not remain in him, and there's this theological debate about some people say, Well, you it's not possible to unremain in him. That once you're in him, you can't get un out of in him. And, you know, what? It's, it's semantics. It's people arguing about the same thing and running in circles. The reality is this. Unless you remain in him, something really terrible is going to happen. Anyone who does not remain in me is going to be thrown away. Like a useless branch, and you're going to wither. Such branches are gathered and piled to be burned sound familiar it's those weeds weeds but if you remain in me and my words my words remain in you you may ask me for anything you want it'll be granted when you produce much fruit you are my true disciples this brings great glory to my father remain in me why what if you don't produce fruit what does that mean what happens to the branches, the weeds that have no fruit for the farmer and the master on the last day when the harvest comes? Let's go down to Matthew 24. Jesus again says, and then at last the sign of the Son of Man is coming. He will, that the Son of Man is coming, will appear in the heavens and there will be deep mourning among all the people of the earth. And they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And here he comes. And he will send out his angels with a mighty blast of a trumpet, and they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world. Remember, there's going to be a separation of the wheat and the weeds. And he will gather his chosen ones from all over the world from the farthest ends of the earth. And heaven. There's going to be a separation. It's like the sheep and the goats. It's the weeds and the wheat. It's the lost and the saved. It's the children of God who were connected to the vine and those who were not. And there's a great separation that's going to take place. Mark 13:26. Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with great power and glory. He will send out his angels to gather his chosen ones from all over the world from the farthest ends of the earth in heaven over and over and over and over he talks about there's a harvest coming Do you, you have ears to hear if you heard that you would be ready for the harvest right the only way you would not be ready for this harvest is you either can't hear or you won't hear right what does the master the landowner the gardener expect from this perfect seed a good crop A good harvest at the end of the growing season. Here comes the harvest. Revelation 14. And Then I saw a white cloud. And seated on the cloud was someone like the Son of Man. He had a gold crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And then another angel came from the temple and shouted to the one sitting on the cloud, swing the sickle for the time of the harvest has come. The crop... On the earth is ripe so the one sitting on the cloud swung a sickle over the earth and the whole earth was harvested and after that another angel came from the temple in heaven he also had a sharp sickle and then another angel who had power to destroy with fire came from the altar he shouted to the angel with a sharp sickle swing your sickle now to gather the cluster of grapes from the vines of the earth for they are ripe for judgment. So the angel swung his sickle over the earth and loaded the grapes into the great winepress of God's wrath. The grapes were trampled in the wine press outside the city and blood flowed from the winepress in a stream about 180 miles long and as high as a horse's bride. God have mercy. God have mercy. Here's the closing tonight. Listen carefully. The best we can tell in research is the Valley of Jehoshaphat is actually what we call the Kidron Valley. And if you've ever been to Jerusalem, if you stand on the Mount of Olives and you look into Jerusalem's old city, the Eastern Gate, the old Eastern Wall, there's a valley between the Mount of Olives and Jerusalem. That valley is called the Kidron Valley. It is also known in Old Testament as the Valley of Jehoshaphat. It is called the Valley of Decision. Do you know why? It's the place between the ascension of Christ and the announced return of Christ and the Eastern Gate. It's the between. The place where Jesus left from, the Mount of Olives. The place where he said he's going to return to, Zechariah 14, the Mount of Olives. And the the temple, the Eastern Gate. Kidron Valley the Valley of Decision. Why? Jesus has told us in advance that he will return. You don't have to guess. He's going to return to the Mount of Olives. He's going to return as King of Kings. He's going to enter through Jerusalem's Eastern Gate. And he is going to take his seat on the throne of his ancestor David. Just like Gabriel told Mary before the conception. THE VALLEY OF DECISION. WHY IS IT CALLED THE VALLEY OF DECISION? THOUSANDS UPON THOUSANDS ARE WAITING IN THE VALLEY OF DECISION. THE PROPHET JOEL GIVES US THIS LAST SCENE TONIGHT. COME QUICKLY, ALL YOU NATIONS EVERYWHERE. GATHER TOGETHER IN THE VALLEY. AND NOW, O LORD, CALL OUT YOUR WARRIORS. Let the nations be called to arms. Let them march to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There, I, the Lord, will sit to pronounce judgment on them all. What's the judgment look like? Swing the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, tread the grapes, for the winepress is full. The storage vats are overflowing with the wickedness of these people. Thousands upon thousands are waiting in the valley of decision. There the day of the Lord will soon arrive the sun and the moon will grow dark and the stars will no longer shine the lord's voice will roar from zion and thunder from jerusalem and the heavens and the earth will shake but the lord will be a refuge for his people a strong fortress for the people of israel and then then and then you will know that i the lord your i the lord your god live in zion my holy mountain I thought the Lord was coming just then, he sent sending me a text message. <laughs> Whoever's got that, say, I'm ready, okay, let's go. <laughs> It'd be a good point for me to give you an advertisement this, <laughs> this Sunday we're going to spend, start five weeks on Jerusalem right. and it's going to cover this right here, okay? This is how this thing ends and if you've got ears to hear. I hope you're listening. And then you will know, what? Swing the sickle. And then you will know that I, the Lord your God, live in Zion. My holy mountain Jerusalem will be holy forever and foreign armies will never conquer her again. In that day the mountain will drip with sweet wine and the hills will flow with milk water will fill the stream beds of Judah and a fountain will burst forth from the Lord's temple, watering. Do you have ears to hear? This is coming. Watering the arid valleys of Acacias. But Egypt will become a wasteland and Edom will become a wilderness because they attacked the people of Judah and killed innocent people in their land. But Judah will be filled with people forever. You may listen. This is what's coming. Judah, that's the area around Jerusalem, will be filled with people forever. And Jerusalem will endure through all generations. I will pardon my people's crimes, which I have not yet pardoned, and I, the Lord, will make my home. I, the Lord, will make my home in Jerusalem with my people what did you think the harvest was going to be like maybe you don't like to think about it and tonight i need to say this if this brings you some anxiety there's a problem in your heart this ought to be the most exciting thing it's what every heart should be beating for He who has ears to hear should listen and understand what the Spirit's saying to the churches. That's why Jesus spoke in parables. Jesus said, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God. But I use parables to teach the others so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they look, they won't really see. And when they hear, they won't really understand. And I pray tonight that you see. And I pray tonight that you understand. And I pray tonight that you are a wheat. And not a we. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the promises. Thank you for ears that can hear and hearts that can believe, receive, and obey. We have no entitlement to this truth. And I don't understand all of this mystery, but for some reason you gave us your mercy. You opened our eyes, our ears, our hearts. So Father, fill us with this glorious truth and then send us out to sow seeds. And may there be much wheat at harvest time. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all.